Hello and welcome to another episode, another interview with me, Vince. Uh, you're listening to The Happy Place. And um, first, I just want to say thank you. The overwhelming response that uh, both myself and Sam got from the last interview, um, really, it just it blew me away. And I'm so happy that that interview was uh, just able to help so many people um, process through grief and trauma and depression and moving forward to what is the happy place. Um, if you haven't listened to it, go back because it's it's just that good. Uh, Sam and I, we just we got into this amazing discussion about um, just the, the deepest part of our lives and, and how to move forward and not get stuck. So I do recommend uh, just going back, but really just thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. Thank you for listening and thank you for um taking what we say and then applying it to your life. There's there's no better compliment than that. So a um, couple things before we get started with my uh, good friend, Cabany, who is my guest today on the show. But a uh, couple things. So one, I have a couple more interviews that I'm going to release and then I'm going to take a break and not a break uh, entirely, but we're just going to put everything kind of on pause as my family starts to get into the summer season and um, really to kind of put you behind the curtain, uh, we're closing a chapter in our life and uh, that, that chapter ends at the end of June and I'm really excited but also a little bit nervous with that and um, been working on this, this thing for a while now, this certain project and really just going to launch it. We're going to launch it at the end of summer, but during summer, we're going to take some time off and my family and I, we're going to just go away for a little and we're going to unplug and we're just going to rest and be. And a term that uh, I've come to really start just wrestling with is abide. And so we're just going to abide in each other um, and abide in the land, abide at the ocean. So that's what's coming in. And I also have the series of little talks that I'm going to be giving. And so I might record some of those while we're gone on vacation or uh, at least start prepping the notes um, instead of just all being in my head. I'll, I'll put it down on paper. But that's it's kind of where we're headed. And then uh, we'll we'll get into fall and I'm, I'm hoping kids go back to school. I don't know. Um, but then we'll wrap up, uh, the, the end of summer with kind of those little mini talks. And then we will go right back into other interviews as I got some things lined up for fall. So, uh, that's that. But now right here today, you're listening to an, uh, conversation with Cabany and myself. So Cabany, just a little bit of background for her marketing guru, uh, just incredibly smart, incredibly brilliant. She's from St. Louis and it's just, she's got one of those names that everybody knows and she knows everybody. Um, but I got to know Cabany a few years ago through some, uh, just beautiful, mutual friends. Um, and, and we just developed this really great relationship. And as I was prepping for this podcast, I knew I wanted to get her on. And in this episode, uh, we really do dive into business and our life. And, um, again, it's one of those, you listen back to it and you're like, wow, that's good. I needed that today. And I love that. And I love the knowledge that she brings to the show. So I hope you enjoy it. Go ahead. Uh, if you know somebody who's going to like this, share it. Um, and then one more sh like real shameless plug for me. Okay. Um, I don't look to see how many people actually listen, but I, I want more people to listen. So if you can just rate the podcast and subscribe, that's it. That helps the whole 
algorithm with Apple and Spotify and wherever you listen to this, that it helps it just move up in the ranks, right? Up in the searches. So uh, that would be great. Again, I hate asking, but here we are. All right. My interview with Cabney. Thank you for having me. I love talking with you, Vince. I feel like you and I see so similarly um, to life and business issues. So it was a real honor to be invited on. So thank you. Um, How do I start? start? So it was five years ago, almost to the month, um, when I realized after five years, something about that five-year magic mark. At five years, I had been working in a corporate environment and I just started to feel like I saw what was being provided to us by some marketing agencies. And I saw a need in the marketplace for a marketing partner that was more than just um, a contractor or someone providing services. I thought, what if we could create a firm that would be embedded in our clients' companies as an extension of their marketing teams? Because that's actually really what I wanted um, when we were on the client side. Um, And so I set out to see if there was a need for that. And what has been so rewarding over the last five years is that that bet was actually right, that there was a need for that in the marketplace. And so I basically just set out to create the thing that I wished had existed when I was on the client side. Yeah. Yeah. Like a true entrepreneur. (laughs) Creating something that you wish you had or needed, right? Yep. And I thought to myself, if I could make, I was willing to give myself a third of a pay cut. So I thought if I could make a certain amount of money every year, being on my own, then that to me was going to be the answer I needed. So I gave myself a six month runway to see if there was a need out there. And then if it didn't work, I was going to go back to the old way of doing things. So I I always like to have plan A, B, and C and some contingency planning just to make sure that I'm not, I'm a risk taker, but I'm a very calculated risk taker. Yeah. Yeah. So are you on plan A or was that a, are you on like plan A? a 2.0 you know (laughs) yeah the good news is that I was willing to give myself a third of a pay cut and I thought that's worth it if I don't have to go into you know a big office and report to someone day in and day out and I could be more creative that was worth it to me so I am on plan a but I consider it plan a plus because I didn't have to take the third pay cut I ended up um doing much better financially out on my own than I did with what I thought was the much more safe and lucrative Mm -hmm. option. So that was really probably the happiest surprise of becoming a business owner was I thought I was going to have to uh, forsake something or sacrifice um, financial well-being for a while just to be on my own. And that was a very pleasant surprise that if you work hard enough, you can maybe even make what you're making and possibly more. Correct. Right, right. At what point did you, so five years in, what point did you start hiring or or was it right away? I started the company in 2015 and by 2016, I had enough business where I actually got pregnant and I wasn't planning on hiring anybody. I was going to be a solopreneur for a little bit longer, but as life has a way of doing, it ended up. Uh, pretty much having to speed me up into uh, expanding my team and hiring because as a solopreneur, if you have clients and you want to go out for any period of time on maternity leave, it doesn't work. So August of pretty much the 
the following year, uh, 2016, I found out I was pregnant. And so I brought on um, an account manager who ended up just being such an important part of how we got started. And it allowed me to keep the company going in a very effective manner uh, while also taking, it was definitely not a full extended maternity leave, but I at least was able to enjoy four weeks of uh, maternity leave because I had had that person in place. So say hired within six months of having the company. Okay. Wow. What was that hire? Like I've always felt like the first hire is um, kind of the most important one in a way, but like it sets the tone for everybody else. So did you sort through a lot of resumes or was this a referral from a friend that you're like, you know, I know this person really well. She was critical. You're so right. Um, Looking back, I realized just how much it mattered to have the right person in the seat. Uh, I considered her for the time she was with the company, kind of like the other, the other engine, we were a dual engine and she was the other engine. And I was so grateful. She was a recent grad from Mizzou. Um, So their journalism school, uh, their strategic communications degree has yielded some really great talent for our company. And she was a graduate of Mizzou and just jumped in both feet, treated the company like it was her own and really worked uh, so hard and tirelessly on behalf of our clients. And so for me, she was she was not only helpful, but she was very inspiring to have around at a time when we were still in that, is this going to work phase uh, of the company? And she was also willing to take a risk on a company that yeah. had not been established for very long. So I always had a lot of gratitude an appreciation for her willing to take a risk on, on mm-hmm. a small unknown company. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I think that's one of the best compliments you can get is if someone's like, I'm willing to take a risk and maybe miss a paycheck to work for you. That's Cause right. I believe in you and I believe in this idea. Um, that's right. That's Unfortunately, she never had to miss a paycheck. So know, we had that good. going for us. Yeah. She was appreciative of that. But I think, you know, recently she wrote to me because she has since gone on and joined a company that is larger just for that bigger company experience. And while I really didn't want to not see her every day, I really celebrated the fact that she had learned enough and um, gained enough skills to where she was very marketable for Um, a larger company. And I told her, go spread your wings, enjoy. Um, Maybe one day you'll come back and help me, help me run the company. So you never know. And she since reached out to me and just talked about so many of the lessons she learned while at Kaleidoscope Management Group that now serve her so well in her current, uh, current role. So those, those types of, uh, those types of experiences are invaluable and they're a huge part of why I love what I do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how many people are on your staff now? Well, we've got 10 members of the team and that's some combination of full-time employees and very dedicated, um, might as well be full-time, uh, contractors. Mm -hmm. So I call our team, uh, a small, but mighty team of 10. Yeah. What's it like leading a, a team of 10 because you're close Right. And then same with the contractor, because that's a whole different story of managing a contractor. Um, But what's how do you draw a line? Because you're a very friendly person. How do you draw the line between I'm your friend and we're all in this together and we're like a little mini family. And yet I'm also the one in charge and I have to be your boss because I do a terrible job at that. (laughs) Just (laughs) self-admittedly, like I want to be everybody's friend. I don't want to have to tell you what to do. So how do you uh, how do you draw that line? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think that's definitely been 
a source of interest for me from a, what do I study um, as a leader? What can I learn about how to do that better? But I think I've turned a corner on that. I definitely have a culture where I care about people as individuals, their families. I hope we can maintain that kind of closeness forever. I hope to never get so big that I don't think of people as individuals. Um, I don't know what that critical number is after which you can't do that as well, but mm -hmm. I hope to always stay under that number where it becomes impossible. But I think that caring about people as individuals actually comes hand in hand with giving them the gift of directness. And so I, the, I'm a, probably an acquired taste as a boss because I am extremely direct. And I've always thought it's one of my greatest strengths, but it can also be a little bit difficult because I'm not one to mince words. So I actually translate caring deeply about someone as calling them out on what I need from them or things where I feel like they could be operating at optimal performance and maybe they aren't. And so I bet if you ask any of my team, do they ever wonder where they stand with me? The answer would be an emphatic, they always know. Yes, I always know where I stand with Cavity. And that can be great because you know that I appreciate you. And then it can also be probably pretty challenging because if you're underperforming, you're going to know about that too. So I think translating caring deeply about someone as also being willing to um, maybe not be the most popular guy in the room has been something that I've had to grow more accustomed to as I maybe mature in my career. So definitely an ongoing journey, but that's been pretty rewarding is realizing that those two things are not mutually exclusive, you know, directness and honesty about what I'm seeing. Um, and sometimes I could be wrong. I'm not always right, but I, I, I have a pretty good sense for where people are um, maybe needing to up their game and I'm willing to say it. Yeah. Where'd you learn that from? Gosh, you know, we were thinking we might talk about the Enneagram here. Yeah, I think I'm probably, I think I'm probably hardwired that way. I don't okay. know if that's just something that is embedded in someone's DNA. I think yeah. you can definitely learn to be better at that. I know a couple of really great books. One of my clients swears by Radical Candor, a great book for that exact um, philosophy, which is, you know, high performing teams have absolutely got to be able to tell it to each other straight. And you need to deliver that message with kindness. But I think that, you know, you cannot dance around the elephant in the room and companies that do or cultures that do will definitely suffer over the long term. So you might be nice or quote unquote nice in the short term, but at some point there will have to be a reckoning about the performance or maybe a resentment grows from the boss to the report. And so I think that you can study up on it for sure. I've tried to get better at it because maybe my directness hasn't always been um, wrapped in wrapped in as much kindness as it could so I've worked on that angle but I think that many people are probably just uh put on this earth to um naturally do it and then others can definitely learn how to be better at it yeah. um, but I think for all leaders that's probably at some point in their career had to have been a bit of a struggle yeah yeah um I had interviewed Scott Highmark and we were talking about team and culture and he said that his dad, who was in management, kind of his whole adult career, said that if you ever let someone go and they're surprised by it, that's really on you. Oh, um, I love that. Totally. And, yeah. And so that's good. It speaks to the candor, though, of just, you know, where you stand with somebody. Um, that's something I need to be better at. Uh, and it's, it comes from, 
it's it comes from like a people pleasing mentality as well. Like I don't want to maybe say something that will offend somebody because the story I write in my head of what that'll turn into. Yeah. Um, and how they might perceive you. And so I think yeah. ego is a big part of it. Once I yeah. set aside ego, what if they think that about me, then you have to play that tape all the way through and you think uh -huh. what's the worst thing that could happen. And so I do a lot of that because no one ever wants to leave the workplace on a given day. If you've had a tough performance review with someone and wonder if they're uh, thinking negatively about you. But mm -hmm. I think a big part of making the leap is just saying, I'm going to have to be comfortable with whatever their story about me is. If I know that I'm living in integrity and that what I was trying to convey to them ultimately is going to help them up their yeah. game. Yeah, that's very true. Very true. So then I'm going to flip it on you. Then does your team, are you, do you give them the permission to give that same clear feedback on you? Yes, I do. I all I always wonder though, even if you say I'm open and 360 and I want to, you know, do a do a dual review, how safe of an environment are you creating mm -hmm. that really allows for that? Because I think myself included, a lot of leaders say they want that, but does the culture support when someone does come back with feedback. But I mean, I have enough examples of where I have asked for that and I have gotten feedback and I feel like some of it was a little hard to hear. So I have enough, I think, um, data to support that at least certain people in the organization feel safe sharing with me things they want more of. Now it's great. Sometimes, sometimes it's, I want to see more of you and have more time with you. You know, some of that is like, yeah. you could perceive it as negative, but I'm also like, wow, well, that's a great thing to hear. I'm sure mm -hmm. I'm running around 500 miles per hour. So if a, if a team member says that they want to see more of you, you go, okay, I'll take that feedback. And then um, I'm a very abstract thinker. So some of it, I just know, I know exactly what I'm going to get, which is, you know, you're abstract, you're visionary, you think big. Um, sometimes you may skim over uh, providing granular detail that is essential for someone to really perform well. And so making sure that when I hear that feedback, I don't take it personally, right. is a huge part of that journey. And how do you respond when you get that feedback? Um, are you able to respond with gratitude and kindness for it, even if it might sting a little bit? And that's been something that um, I've really worked on. And I think there's a ton of power in that. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you how that communication and being open and honest and candid works in your relationships, both friendships and your marriage? Or are those completely separate from your work? That's a great question. You know, as I was thinking about uh, how it can be a strength and a weakness to be so direct, I definitely think of my life as a pie and each slice represents a different part of, you know, my, where mm -hmm. my brain focuses on every given day. And marriage is for sure a slice. My children are a slice. My friendships are a slice. My extended family is a slice. And then my career and my professional uh, relationships are a slice. And so I think it permeates through all of those. And I would say that friendships, it definitely has influenced the kind of friends that I surround myself with. I think that the friends I have, we have such incredible friendships and it's a lot based on the fact that they kind of see the world the same way I do in many regards in the sense that they are also direct. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think that they are bothered necessarily. Cause I think if that style uh, bugs you, you probably wouldn't stick around long with me. Right. And so <laughs> I love, I love the authenticity of the friendships. I don't really ever have to wonder 
where I stand with my with my closest friends. And that's so nice um, to not wonder after you hang up on a call, is there any judgment? Oh, that's yeah, right. Right. It's very so freeing. It is, right? And you've had the ones where that wasn't the case. And I think that you've, over time, and as we get older, and um, time is more precious, it's important that you feel, again, that you know where you stand. Mm -hmm. So I think if you were to, I said, if you ask my employees, if they know where they stand with me, they'd say an emphatic yes. I would say that my husband, do you know where you stand, is probably an emphatic hell yes. Um, he knows where he stands with me because he's <laughs> definitely on the receiving end of that directness. But again, it's directness with a, if we're doing great, um, he definitely, uh, knows where he stands. Hello. <laughs> Hi, sweetness. Um, my husband's would be an emphatic hell's, hell's yes. Um, and that's a lot to do with when things are going great with us. Um, mm -hmm. He knows that I'm super appreciative and grateful for him supporting me in my career or him calling me out on my stuff. But I have to tell you, I think in our choice of spouse, I definitely landed with a guy that may, may even beat me in my directness. So I certainly chose a spouse that um, approaches life in a very similar uh, and maybe even more so direct manner yeah. than I do. I always know where I stand with him too. Yeah, that's good. So you brought up the Enneagram. How has that played out in your business? Um, how do you guys use it? Because it's one of many tools, which is, you know, but it's so popular right now. Um, but how do you it guys is. use that? Or how have you I, I love it. And I think it was really a progression how we landed on the Enneagram. I give someone on my team, um, one of our, our team members, a lot of credit for bringing it to us. But we started with Myers-Briggs, mm -hmm. um, a very traditional performance management uh, mechanism, which worked for us. And we have those for every team member displayed prominently on the walls and they're great. And they tell you, you know, what things for that particular personality type stress me out and which things give me energy. And so sometimes I'd study those to remind myself that that thing I'm doing on a regular basis for that particular individual is actually on the stresses me out part right. of that quadrant. And so I've used the Myers-Briggs tool extensively. And then Enneagram came to me through this team member and I really was drawn to it because of the non-judgmental nature of it. Mm, so yeah. what I mean by that is I feel like it's a framework that doesn't shame one number over another. It really gives equal credit to wherever you are on that circle. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate that about that framework. And it creates words, language um, around a way to interact with people if they are different than yourself in a way that's very constructive. And so I right. think some performance management systems fall a little short where it's like strengths and weaknesses. Whereas the Enneagram has for thousands of years done an incredible job of just saying, you know, here are facts about how these different types think, operate, and how that manifests either when they're in stress or not. And there's something very healthy, I think, about that type of uh, discussion around our personality types that, that doesn't assign judgment. And so whether at work or in my marriage, I haven't yet used it with my kids, but I think uh, recently somebody talked about how effective it was and how they interact with their children and their parents. So I look forward to doing that. But so far with employees and then also my husband, he's a strong seven and I'm a strong three. And he and I both have agreed yeah. that some of the insights about how sevens and threes interact has been so useful for us. And it yeah. helps desubjectify it. And it makes it a lot more objective to where mm -hmm. you don't have to 
you don't have to criticize someone when you just say, gosh, that explains so much. Oh yeah. Especially. Okay. So, you know, I'm a seven, right? So <laughs> I don't like, know that I knew that, but it makes a lot of sense. Okay. Yeah. So I felt like that gave language to so many, even for myself of going, Oh, now I understand. Like I get it. I get why I have adult ADHD. It's not really ADHD. It's just, I love bouncing around from idea to idea. Um, yep. And I don't like feeling trapped or, you know, uh, pushed up against the wall. Like it just gave me those words that I didn't have before. And, uh, yeah. and then whereas you might've seen it as a deficit before, right. or your wife right. might have not, you know, been scratching her head. Like, why is he always planning the next vacation? Why is it always about the anticipation of uh -huh. the new and the search for novelty? Whereas, you know, that's a lot of things about the seven that we love. And so it doesn't have to be um, it doesn't have to be actually a deficit. It can just be much better understood when you've got the words uh, and the framework. So that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Go sevens. Yeah. Go sevens. I, I was saying to somebody the other day, threes and sevens are so close. If you think of a why, it's a very um, long together middle. And then they start separating very, it's like a one degree separation that then over time becomes a little bit of a bigger gap. I don't know if that makes sense, but um, yeah, it does. I'm trying to do it with my hands and that's not going to come across. I just drew it. It's a great visual. Yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. Um, what do you love about being a three? And then I'm going to ask you the hard one. What do you not like about being a three? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I hadn't really thought about being anything other than a three. When I looked at the framework I kind of immediately even before taking mm -hmm. the test knew that that's what I was I think what I love about being a three is that it's probably part of the reason why I've been able to enjoy some success professionally um, mm -hmm. is that I am dogged in my pursuit of excellence and obviously success is an important um, thing to me and I think that that in many ways can be a real benefit because my husband says that my work ethic is maybe stronger than anyone he's ever met and it's like that's a great quality, especially when trying to grow my business. There were so many late nights. I would be a new mom. I would be putting the kids down and then staying up until you know 1 a.m. to get stuff done, getting out proposals. I remember right before I gave birth to my son, there was just so many moments where I thought it's partly being a Capricorn, which has a lot of those same determined characteristics. And then I have Capricorn mixed with uh, being a three, which just makes me a uh, a hard charging, a hard charging yeah. worker. Yeah. And so that's great until you want to go on vacation and you want to put down the laptop or you want to put your out of office on. Um, I think that's probably in response to your question about what don't you like or what's the hardest part about it. I get my greatest sense of satisfaction from being productive. Yeah, and right. so things like gardening or cooking or taking a vacation without any technology, those things are very difficult for me. And I hope over time and as I get older, I will be maybe a little better able to do those things. But I think that's definitely one of the downsides to being a, a three a three Capricorn is that that makes me uncomfortable. That's sort of like, I'm just sloughing off or I'm just, mm. um, relaxing. It's almost like got a negative connotation to it. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. And this, you know, um, just remember that like, the hard work you've done, that's part of the reward, right? Is right. okay. Now I get to, even if it's just for 48 hours, mm -hmm. I get to unplug for 48 hours and you need that. Like we all yeah. need it. Um, but I, I can see that. I, I I know a lot of threes. I I love threes. I think 
your drive, your ambition, your like, I'm going to haul ass to get stuff done <laughs> is not so admirable. Like, you know, you're not lazy people and that's awesome. Not at all. Yeah. I've really enjoyed, um, pre-pandemic. I had gone through, uh, TM training for meditation and okay. that's actually been incredible. It was yeah. just some kind of cool timing. Obviously none of us could have anticipated what March would have brought, but right. I'm grateful for things like that, uh, that I've been trying to incorporate into my daily life because mm -hmm. when I do those things, I notice such a benefit and, you know, my fuse is a lot less short. There's just so many things that when I do actually take the time to um, be still, it's actually incredible to see the the exponential benefit to being still. And that's so counterintuitive for a go, go, go person. Yeah. So that's that's been kind of neat. When do you do that? Is that a every morning thing or is it at the end of the night? So TM, um, if you're being really technical about how we're supposed to be doing it, it's 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes in the evening. Okay. Um, but, or the afternoon, but with small children, um, I'm pretty much like lucky if I get it in in the morning. So I'm trying to be gentle with myself and 20 minutes, um, even if it's three to five mornings a week is a real win. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find it hard? Oh my gosh. The monkey brain <laughs> is such a real thing. Sure is. And oh my gosh, it's so uncomfortable. But if you can push past that discomfort, which I've been really trying to do, it's like this incredible part of your brain wakes up and that reward is worth having to actually sit there in complete and utter discomfort, you know, going through your to-do list in your mind and remembering yeah. that, you know, be gentle TM's all about, you know, not judging that monkey brain, but actually just kind of gently moving on from it and getting back to that place of really it's deeper consciousness. And once I understood that taking those 20 minutes is actually to reach deeper consciousness, I thought, well, who doesn't want that? And right. so that's been really worth being in some short-term discomfort with my own thoughts to enjoy that promise of deeper consciousness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the, peaceful state of that like for me um is i will be taken care of this goes back to enneagram it's the that's the um the lie or the um some some language for it is like the deadly sin of like i'm not going to be taken care of as a seven so therefore i got to go you know uh try to be better get everything have what i need and then be gluttonous about it because i just want to feel happy yes the deeper consciousness is i will be taken care of I am yeah. being provided for, and I can just show up um, for three. Awesome? Yeah. And then for three, it's like, I will be successful. I will be able to be okay. And I don't have to work on vacation. I can rest and mm -hmm. it will still be okay. Um, and for everybody, it's different. But just getting to that 20 minutes to do that is, uh, you think 20 minutes is not hard, right? No, for me, for you, like, Oh, I can it takes barely go by. three minutes. It's so it ticks hard. By. Isn't that crazy? But practice does make perfect. And the longer yeah. you do it, I know people who have been practicing TM or some other form of meditation for 25 plus years and it works. You just have to be disciplined about prioritizing it. But the thought that I couldn't come up with 20 minutes in my day was kind of laughable. So I decided right. I needed to prioritize that. And it's interesting because 
what you talked about that I actually will be successful even if I don't do the things that you know I've convinced myself are required to be taken care of or be successful. 2020 for me was already in January. I had deemed it the, the year of slowing down to speed up. And so this whole pandemic thing has been incredible in the way that I had already just projected my company to stabilize, not need to be on a fast growth track. So, so many things I had already started putting in place and had gotten the ball rolling on expecting 2020 to be a much more, um, I think, uh, calm year of nurturing and maintaining current business rather than trying to uh, grow for growth's sake. Mm-hmm. And so it's been very interesting to see some of those moves that we made actually really positioned right. us in a great way when it all did come to a screeching halt, at least for a time being in March, to where now we are able to look at the rest of the year with with glasses that were already a little tempered because I had said, you know, I think there actually might be a way to remain strong, healthy, and successful as a business without constantly being Mm-hmm. Uh, run down and mm-hmm. limping across the finish line every December. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end That's of right. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I think of the, uh, like the old plow with like a horse or a donkey in front of it. And then just a, a withered man, just constantly, <laughs> constantly like tilling the ground. And yet right. there's times though, where you can just seed and water and, and, you know, pick the harvest. Um, so true. And it's yeah. so much easier said than done. Oh, sure. Because I think the, the gerbil or the hamster wheel is very um, tempting because you can feel super productive and quote unquote busy. But at the end of it, you know, what does your health look like? How is your mental state? You know, there's so many other considerations right. that right. just being busy is no longer going to going to get you where you need to go. Yeah. So as we're coming out of the pandemic and I guess like our whole world has shifted anyway. Um, what do you see for you guys, your team, kind of the business landscape moving forward? What is what does June through December look like now? Is it remote still? Are you guys going to start going back into an office? Um, That's a great question. Yeah. So we have been very fortunate in the sense that we spoke earlier about our team being mm-hmm. part full-time employees and part contractors. I feel like we were already built Um, in such a way where to go virtual, literally, we hardly batted an eye. I closed the office uh, the week of March 16th. And that week, uh, we were all remote. And I had a client ask me when the company was going to move to remote work. So it was really, I thought, very telling that it didn't feel like there was any disruption in our client service, our client delivery. And that was super rewarding. And as a result, I have told the team just yesterday, I said, there's no part of me that's in a big rush to get back. Obviously we miss our office. We miss the in-person interactions, but um, there's no, there's no urgency on, on my part to get us back into a physical space. Um, Our office at CIC is wonderful and we love the community there, but I could see us probably doing a slowly ease back in um, in early June. And then even then I'm toying with the idea of maybe doing like alternating certain employees or doing virtual Mm -hmm. on some days, at least for a transition period. Yeah. What's the news and um, the updates for these co-working spaces? Because there's so many people. I have to give a huge shout out to CIC and Cortex in general. I feel like the moment that we, went started down this path, their proactive communication, knowing that we are all 
um, part of a community that is built around proximity to other people. Mm -hmm. They have been hyper vigilant. They have co-working spaces all over the country. And so they have had a very close finger, close on the pulse of what needs to happen, how long we'll be away. They immediately were proactive on rent abatement offerings and just really quality. And I think just recently we got a communication about um, the hypervigilance that will be in place in terms of contactless uh, offices. So how, how can they build it to where you hardly have to touch anything? Um, certain measures that they're taking that are very much with the health and well-being of everyone in the co-working uh, in mind. Yeah, that's good. That is good. Um, awesome. Yeah, I was when this all happened, I started thinking immediately about these co-working spaces and it's like, man, what are they going to do? Um, I have a, you know, someone that I know works over at like the Wells Fargo downtown and, you know, it's like 5,200 employees. I'm like, that's going to be a slow ramp up <laughs> yeah, to get 5,200 exactly. people back in the same room. That's exactly right. And hopefully a lot of those responsibilities, I think a lot of companies are learning that when required, we get very creative. And yeah. so hopefully a majority of those 5,200 can still conduct business and mm -hmm. do parts of their jobs in an effective manner, even when they're not physically in the building, which right. I think has been a real eye opener for a lot of more traditional companies. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Um, I'm going to kind of switch topics back to what your expertise is in um, cool. marketing, building a brand. Uh, what tips do you have, especially kind of coming out of what we just came out of? going into a whole new world and a whole new way of operating. How do we build a brand now? Is it different? Is it the same? I'm kind it's of putting you on question. the spot, so I'm sorry. No, it's a great, it's a great question. No, it's stuff we're thinking about every day. So it's not a, it's not too much on the hot seat. I think that if there's one major takeaway I've learned in this period, it's that, um, being able to be, even if you're the largest company like Coca-Cola, imagine Coca-Cola, they have had ads that are planned out months in advance. Everything was scheduled. Everything was very automated. And I think this period taught me the value of, and this isn't just a plug for our company, but I think any company in general that is um, able to be creative on the fly and then also be able to, are you set up to pivot? as needed. And I know that's a very overused word. And I'm not talking about pivot like your business service offerings. A lot of companies are probably going to double down on the things they've always done. I think pivot and being creative about new service lines is important. But if you're Coke, how quickly able were you um, set up to shift your communication strategy on the fly? And I know a lot of brands, our phone was ringing pretty fast and furious during that period, because I think a lot of companies um, treat communications and their marketing as kind of like a nice to have. And what this showed a lot of brands is that you would like to be for the next time, which we won't hopefully have another pandemic, but I think even many versions of, of crises, are you set up in a way where if you've got all these campaigns that are built out, can you pivot quickly? And so we were doing a ton of shifting social media calendars, making sure that you're not putting something out on any of your channels that might be perceived as tone deaf or lacking in context. And so I think that while we saw that in stereo um, this last month is that you can't be talking about, you know, all your upcoming sales if you're a shopping center when all your tenants just shuttered. So there's just this very macro um, example of how that's important. But I think on the daily, 
we're constantly working with our clients in a very bespoke, highly customized manner to make sure that whatever's happening in the world, they are, they are being viewed as switched on, not tone deaf, in touch with what's going on for their consumers and trying to meet their consumers where they are emotionally um, and also just, you know, from a, from a business standpoint. But we have learned in a lot of the research we do and then studied is that emotion is going to beat out um, kind of trying to meet people at the cerebral level. You're always going to win if you can meet them at the emotional level. And so trying to keep that in the back of your mind whenever you're trying to build a brand or come up with a brand messaging, I think is just super, super important and will become even more so after the pandemic. Yeah, that's good. Um, and I think that's an advantage a lot of small businesses ha- would have versus uh, large companies, like you said, Coca-Cola. Small businesses right. can, can drop and pivot, quoting, um, mm-hmm. and be nimble very quickly. Um, that's change right. on a dime. Um, but I think it's just the need to, and be okay being flexible. That's right, and yeah. turn the Titanic. And if you have to turn the Titanic quickly, hopefully you've got partners in place that can help you do that. Right, right. And so whether you cope with lots of agency support or a smaller company with maybe just our firm supporting you, it can be done. Um, but I think a lot of companies figured out if they've got the right partners in place during this period. Even mm-hmm. I learned that, you know, we've always built our company as though we were a large company. And that was a choice I made on day one is build the company so that we can grow into ourselves as opposed to kind of building the plane as I'm flying mm-hmm. it. And yeah. I've never been so grateful for doing that because in a moment's notice, I was able to have my loan applications in, my forecast redone. Um, my CPA was on it from a from a tax ramification standpoint. So it's like, do you have partners in place no matter what your business, even if you're a solopreneur? So important because we were able to deploy very quickly because of that, as opposed to if I was having to go out and try to find those people, or if I had had to service all of our clients at the same time, I was trying to, you know, wear every hat in the company, it would have never worked. Yeah. That right there's a great lesson. Um, even for me, it was for me. It was for me. Yeah. Um, cause that's also just a mindset, right? So you have to have the mindset going forward of, we are a large company. So I have all yep. of my ducks in a row versus, okay, well, when I get there and that that's proverbial right. there, um, whether it happens or not, you have to have that mindset. It's that's another right. strength I, of, of you, just so you know. Well, thanks Vince. You're a sweet, you're a sweet guy. And I'm glad to have you among those, those people that I think of as kind of what I describe as like an, a, a moat around the business. So mm-hmm. um, you came to me when you were making a bit of a change and through the discussions we had, I, I definitely came out of our conversations with new learnings and some insights. And I think that whatever that moat looks like for any business, you, you know what that moat looks and feels like. And I definitely have that moat built and it served us so well in the last month to be able to reach out and not be having introductory conversations with people at a right. time that was so critical. I was, right. I was reaching out to people who we had been building that business, that relationship for, for some time. And it comes to abundance mentality too. I feel like I've got a blog brewing in me about abundance versus scarcity. So at the time I probably was overspending on certain services that for the, you know, percentage of 
our revenue as the size of the company we were, it probably was a little out of balance. But to me, it was so worth it to be able to already have those building blocks in place for when we needed to call on them. And so mm. figuring out what those expenses are for any business is so important because maybe at face value or according to you know the the textbook, how much of as a percentage of revenue should you be spending on you know, forecasting or your CFO? All those services end up being so important. And so making sure you're not scrimping on those and being penny wise and pound foolish, I think has been a huge, a huge focus of ours. Yeah. Can I touch on something you said, which was abundance versus scarcity? Yep. Um, and I know you said you, like there's a blog post brewing, so they might not be coherent thoughts. Um, can you just talk more about that and just really how that works in the world? I feel like yeah. there's times where I have the abundance mindset and then things go really well. And, but mm -hmm. for like the little strategy I had of closing a company in 2016, I then have scarcity mindset and then like shit kind of hits the fan then because yeah. it's just all our mindset. Um, yeah. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit or whatever you got going on in your, in your head? Absolutely. So I think of it kind of as like this phrase, uh, more is more. So I think in this world, and especially as the economy has come into such a um, difficult period, and we're going to enter a pretty deep recession here, um, people start to feel like they've got to, I mean, whether it's toilet paper or their bank account, they're hoarding. And I've just not been like that to my you know, detriment when I didn't hoard the toilet paper, but that's a whole different podcast. But I think that for us, you know, the week that everything was going south, instead of you know, laying people off, we had built our company in a way where I was able to extend bonuses after watching our team in action for the two weeks where our clients needed us. They dug deep, they dug in places where, you know, they, they didn't even probably know that they had to make sure that our clients were taken care of and none of them without even batting an eye. And so it was such a pleasure for me to be able to say, okay, you know, while we may be entering a difficult period from uh, an income standpoint as a company, that doesn't mean that I can't celebrate financially uh, our team and their contributions. And so, you know, at that time, figuring out ways where we don't have to immediately start to, you know, contract and retract and not spend a penny, it's actually like those are the moments that are the most defining, I think, is how you act when things get really difficult. And not to say that everyone needs to run out and give everyone bonuses when they're wondering about the, the future of their company, but that was just our approach. And I know that you know those types of moves, or it could even be service people that couldn't come during the month where we were social distancing, you know, paying them and then knowing that it'll come back to you tenfold. They're probably going to come back and whether it's, you know, housekeeping help or whoever you have in your network that makes your life tick, making sure that you are thinking in a, in a mindset of abundance. It actually speaks to, you talked earlier in the, in the conversation about culture and our culture is uh, high performing and happy. And I've decided that I just think in a world of abundance, we should strive to have both. We should be able to be extremely hardworking, have optimum results for our clients, but then we should also help elevate their, um, their state of being. And the same for our team, you know, we're delivering really, really high performance, but why should that ever have to be at the expense of mental, physical, mm. and, uh, and, and health? I don't think it should, but for some reason, we've sort of seen these two things that if one's doing great, the other one's out of balance. And so yeah. it's just, again, back to abundance, being a working mom, you know, can I still be a great mom and also have a, uh, a really successful business? I like to think so. And so 
I think without being too idealistic, there is probably a place in this world for yes and, or more being more, um, and just figuring out how those pieces fit together, because I think that can lead to ultimately the most enriching life. Yeah, that's good. Very good. Um, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot for real now. I'm going to give you a couple questions, not related to business at all, just for okay. fun. The okay. podcast is the happy place, right? So I want to see. That's right. Yeah. Um, what does make you happy right now as a mom, as a business owner? What What makes you smile when you, you know, you're doing something? What lights you up? That's a great question. So I would say at least right now in this period, one of the most um, guaranteed to bring a smile to my face things is when I wake up in the morning and my kids come racing in and they smother me on my face with the kisses and the hugs and the, and the, the love. And then we can have a few minutes together with coffee time and kind of mentally all of us preparing for our, mm-hmm. our day in this new, what I recently heard called as our new abnormal. Um, and I think that that to me is like ultimately what life's all about. And so we have that moment of just complete togetherness in the morning and it's so snuggly and it's so pure. And then we each kind of all go out and scatter and do our days. And I'm able to you know, join, join up with my team and, and do all the things that also bring me great joy. But I think all those things are made better by uh, the, the happy moment in the morning when my kids come in and they just have no agenda and they just, they, they completely tackle me in their pajamas and we get our day started. And I just love that. That's awesome. Um, what, what is the number one tool that makes you very efficient? Oh, great question. Um, I'm actually kind of old school. I still use, actually, I don't even know if uh, you can see these, but like I still use journals and where I'm yeah. taking my notes today. Uh-huh. Um, that one's got a good little. Oh, I love it. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm old school. I use journals. Yeah. I take notes all the time. And then I usually transfer them to either a Word doc or some digital something to where I can keep them for posterity. But I would say for my team, whenever we have a big project or a new proposal, um, I, I tend to um, feel like if we can distill it down into one kind of uh, brief, I mm-hmm. use I use just very, I think, pretty traditional technology tools. We have Trello, we've tried Asana, we use some social media posting tools. So it's not like we don't use technology, but I think for me in my own personal and professional life, I, I rely on old school, old school journals to take notes and then um, keep a very healthy uh, drive of documents to try to keep all of our to-dos and who's in yeah. charge of what at the company straight. That's good. All right. Last question. What's your favorite vacation? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So mostly because the kids loved it so much, um, we decided to test out one of those kids clubs in Cabo last year. Um, And it was just a blast because I think it was the type of vacation where we had a lot of family time and then they had some camp options during the day where we could actually just be a couple. Mm -hmm. And then we would come back together after they got back from their camp and they had all kinds of fun stories and people they were meeting that were also on vacation. And then we would come back together as a family and have a great time. So to me, that represented kind of one of our most fun getaways because it wasn't like 
just as a couple and no kids because I would miss them too much. It was actually for my 40th birthday. That's what I chose because I wanted, again, abundance. I wanted to have kid time, me yeah. time and husband time. And it kind of was one of those where I could have uh, more was more was more. And we weren't having to sacrifice one thing for another. Yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, I appreciate Vince, I you loved and your it. friendship. Yeah. Oh, you too. I'm so proud of you. And I really feel honored that you, uh, that you invited me on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate it.